0: Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and Fort Dodge Messenger for Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. I'm your reader, Grace Barter. In Mason City news, Steckman won't seek re-election. State Representative Sharon Steckman, the eighth-term Democrat from Mason City who made putting people over politics a center for her com- campaigns and her service in the legislature, will not seek re-election in November. She made the announcement Saturday morning during her public forum at the Mason City Public Library saying it was definitely not an easy decision. Steckman, 77, serves District 59, which includes the eastern portion of Cerro Gordo County, including Mason City. She began serving in the Iowa House in 2009. But with Republicans in control of the House since 2011 and all three branches of state government since 2017, she has in recent years mostly served as a vocal opponent of what she sees as the GOP's worst ideas. In a column Saturday in the Globe-Gazette decrying her frustration with the current legislative session, she stated, The bad news is that a large number of the bills propose to do damage to institutions and groups of Iowans, including children. Earlier this month, voting no on House Study Bill 649, which would define man and woman in state law, and is seen as an attack on the rights of transgender Iowans, Steckman leveled withering criticism at her Republican colleagues and Governor Kim Reynolds. I can't see any other purpose than discrimination, Steckman said. I am appalled that the governor would portray put forth such a discriminatory bill targeting 0.29% of our po- Iowa population. It is a sad day for Iowa. We're going backward steckman had a long career as a teacher in the mason city community school district before winning a seat in the legislature her husband former mason city postman alan steckman has often told a story that originally it was him who was mulling a run for the state house But after attending a parade with his wife where they were constantly greeted by calls of Mrs. Steckman, Mrs. Steckman, he suggested maybe she should be the more successful candidate. She has spent much of her energy in the 90th General Assembly in what she characterizes as a fight to defend public education. Last year, it was a losing battle as the governor and the Republican majority legislature passed a law creating education saving accounts that give $7,635 per child of taxpayer money to students of private schools, a move Steckman said will ultimately strip funds from public education. This session, she is involved in a fight over the future of Iowa's area education agencies. Bills moving through both houses concern the governor's proposed overhaul of the agencies, which provide special education support, media services, and other services to school districts around the state. The proposal has met significant opposition from parents, administrators, and House Republicans. No one seems to know where the governor got her information from in this proposal. None of the AEAs were contacted, teachers were not contacted, none of the people that really know what's going on were asked. It really is odd that no one heard about it, and then there it is. You do not write a 123-page bill in one day, Stegman said of the bill last month. She voted against advancing the bill out of the House Education Subcommittee, but a revised version remains alive after Friday's legislative funnel deadline. Seventeen years ago, at 60, I retired from teaching and began my career as your state representative it has been an incredible seventeen years from the time i knocked on the first door to having opportunities i never would have had all thanks to the wonderful people that elected me and put their faith in me stackman said in a facebook post in other news iowa works hosts weekly hiring events The Iowa Works Mason City office at 600 South Pierce Avenue hosts weekly hiring events on Tuesdays in the Job Center to connect job ready candidates with area employers who are hiring. Employers from the area participate and all interested applicants are encouraged to attend. Tuesday event features from 9 a.m. to noon at the R.E.M. Community Services, a part of the Civetta family. For more information, contact Iowa Works at 641-422-1524. A Mason City man is searching for care for his son with autism. When delaying Germanson of Mason City moves his son Gabe into his new house early next month, he hopes it will bring about a fresh start. Gabe, who is twenty and has a form of nonverbal autism, was prone to violent outbursts that endangered himself and his family, so much so he was committed to Mercy One North Iowa Medical Center, first in the Emergency Department and then in the Behavioral Center. Delane Germanson said for two months he was there. They weren't equipped to handle him. Gabe has since returned home and shown some improvement, but the lack of beds in mental health facilities coupled with the severity of Gabe's case has left his father frustrated with the lack of action from the state. We probably have referrals at over 30 facilities, but as far as the state goes, there's no help. With the help from some of Gabe's caseworkers, Germanson was able to have his insurance company upgrade his case's priority. I bought Gabe a house, and we are preparing to move him in with help from his insurance company. They will provide two staff at all times for round-the-clock care, Delane Germanson said. It is quite spendy, but we're working through that. The house will have to be equipped with cameras and other safeguards for himself and his caregivers. The state of Iowa ranks 51st in the nation behind every other state and the District of Columbia in state psychiatric beds, according to a January 2024 study from the Treatment Advocacy Center. The study showed the number of beds in Iowa has remained the same since 2016, indicating zero improvement in the last eight years. Germanson sought the help of State Representative Sharon Steckman, the Democrat from Mason City, when he was at his most desperate. Steckman has advocated using the state's budget surplus to allocate more funds toward mental health resources. Governor Kim Reynolds has advanced a proposal, HF2509, which would dissolve Iowa's separate treatment networks, one that provides mental health services and another that provides substance use disorder care. In their place, the proposal would establish a new network of regional behavioral health providers that provides health care services for both. Department of Health and Human Services Director Kelly Garcia said the system now is too complicated and difficult to navigate for Iowans. She said the proposal would offer the same services, but in a more efficient and accessible way. In the Treatment Advocacy Center's survey, studies found the majority of state hospital beds are now occupied by forensic patients those whom the state has committed to a psychiatric hospital because of their involvement with the criminal legal system, and that most state hospital beds taken offline in recent years have been civil beds, like Germanson is attempting to secure. The study concludes with a call for state policymakers to critically assess funding and bed allocation decisions to ensure that their state's mental health system does not require legal system involvement before inpatient psychiatric treatment can be received. There's an instrument petting zoo. The Surf Ballroom music program will travel to local libraries this summer. The unseasonably warm conditions on the surface of Clear Lake may have forced cancellation of this year's Color the Wind Winter Kite Festival, but Clear Lake was still the place to be Saturday. The Surf Ballroom's Music Enrichment Center hosted an an instrument petting zoo, allowing folks of all ages and musical abilities to try their hand at all sorts of musical instruments. Attendees to the free event could play with an assortment of xylophones and marimbas, bells and whistles, maracas and ukuleles, and other noisemakers and shakers of all types nikki johnson is the education coordinator for the music enrichment center she said the event was a preview of what's to come this summer when the surf takes its instruments on the road usually it's been a summer program but we're just giving folks some more options for something to do on a saturday johnson said the surf ballroom and Museum opened the Music Enrichment Center in 2020 and operates a variety of music education programs and classes assisted by the revitalization of the Surf District's $4.37 million state grant awarded in 2022. This summer will feature a music program from Marissa Humberg of Southern Minnesota Music Therapy a Giddley-Bow class for walking tots under five, and a piano and Picasso players camp for students ages 4 through 6th grade. The program will be from 9 to 11 a.m. June 16th, July 21st, and August 18th at the Central Gardens of North Iowa in Clear Lake. Mason City Public Library will host the program from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. June 14th. Finally, the program will visit the Clear Lake Public Library from 10 a.m. to noon June 22nd. Registration for the classes and more information is available at the Surf Ballroom's Music Enrichment Center website. The Life Serve Blood Center will be hosting a blood drive in Clear Lake next month, according to a press release. The drive will take place 9:30 a.m. to 3 p.m. Thursday, March 7th, at the Clear Lake High School located at 125 North 20th Street. Whole blood donors are reminded they can give every 56 days. Earlier this year, the Red Cross issued a warning, the national blood supply is critically low. To schedule an appointment, call 800-287-4903 or visit LifeServeBloodCenter.org. A sanctioned Mason City social worker seeks license reinstatement. The Iowa Board of Social Work held a hearing last week to consider the possible reinstatement of a license for a woman previously sanctioned for having sex with a client. The notice of the hearing was issued by the Board last month, but was only recently made public. State records indicate that in March 2012, While social worker Lisa Bailey was employed by the Mental Health Center of North Iowa, she was convicted of drunken driving, leaving the scene of an accident, and causing personal property damage. Bailey allegedly told a supervisor she had been blackout drunk at the time, but testified in court that she had not been drunk. Later, The trial judge reportedly informed Bailey's supervisor that a witness was alleged to have seen Bailey crash her car into another vehicle, walk away, and then stumble her way into a convenience store where she purchased beer. Bailey was subsequently fired from the center, according to board records. In April 2013, Bailey was hired as a full-time outpatient counselor for Prairie Ridge Addiction Services. That same year, the board denied her application to practice master's-level social work independently, citing concerns with her ability to maintain professional boundaries with clients and colleagues. A supervisor at the mental health center had alleged Bailey had been seeing a client on a regular basis during the evening hours when the center was closed. In 2014, the board charged Bailey with engaging in a dual relationship with a current client engaging in a sexual relationship with a current client, practicing while experiencing a mental or physical impairment, and engaging in unethical conduct. The board alleged she had made numerous phone calls and sent numerous text messages to a client and engaged in a sexual relationship with that same individual. Bailey later agreed to surrender her license. In today's Obituaries. Bruce Arnold died peacefully late on January 18th. Many of his family members were with him. Bruce was born on August 9th, 1925. He was reared on the family farm outside of Clemmy. He attended the one-room schoolhouse walking distance from the farm and high school in Clemmy. After graduation, he enrolled at Iowa State College, now Iowa State University, in Ames. Following his freshman year, he returned to the farm for the summer. Before he could return to college in 1946, he enlisted in the Army, went through basic training, and served in occupied Japan in Yokohama. When Bruce returned from his service, he resumed his college studies. He graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Mechanical Engineering from ISU. This degree allowed him to get tractor design work with J.I. Case Company in Rock Island, Illinois. While working for Case, he met Joyce Ingold. They married on St. Patrick's Day, 1956. Bruce and Joyce moved from an apartment in Rock Island to a home in Milan, Illinois bruce took advantage of the g i Bill to complete a master's degree in mechanical engineering from the university of iowa after graduating he and the family moved to pella where he worked for roll screen company preferring machine design to wood design bruce sought work with and was hired by twin disc clutch company in racine wisconsin Bruce continued his professional growth as an engineer at Twin Disc, moving up to chief engineer for marine products. He retired in 1988. During his work life, he applied his engineering and design skills to tractor transmissions, windows, and marine clutches and transmissions. He held patents for numerous mechanical innovations. Bruce had examples of many tractors that include his patented designs. In retirement, Bruce and Joyce bought a small farm, the Etchen Place, outside of Goodell, Iowa. A memorial service will be held at 1 p.m. on Saturday, February 24th at the Delano Senior Center, 234 2nd Street North, Delano, Minnesota. Visitation will precede the memorial service at noon. A donation Bruce's memory may be made to one of these organizations he supported in life. Mayo Clinic, the Department of Development, or the Clemmie Homestead Museum. There will be a private internment for the immediate family in Clemmie. Donald Joseph Garretts eighty five of Mason City passed away on Saturday, february seventeenth at Mercy One, North Iowa Medical Center. A funeral mass will be held at ten thirty on Thursday, february twenty second at epiphany parish street st joseph catholic church 302 5th street southeast visitation will be held from 4 to 6 on wednesday february 21st at major erickson funeral home 111 north pennsylvania avenue a scriptural wake service will be held at 5:30 p.m. interment will be in the elmwood st joseph cemetery Memorials may be directed to the family of Donald Garretts. Donald was born in Del Rapids, South Dakota on October 31, 1938. He grew up on the family farm and graduated from St. Mary's in Del Rapids. After high school, Donald joined the United States Navy and was honorably discharged in December of 1958. On August 16, 1960, he was united in marriage to Rosetta Tebby, the couple called Sioux Falls home, where Donald began working for Crescent Electric. In the spring of 1970, he was transferred to Mason City, where he worked for Crescent Electric for 42 years. Donald was an avid Hawkeye fan. He was an active member in St. Joseph Catholic Church and the Knights of Columbus. The big sports news comes out of the state wrestling meet. Osage wins 2A state title again with a record four champions. Osage was the star of the show on Saturday night at the state wrestling tournament at Wells Fargo Arena, and the Green Devils made some history in the process. Osage won the Class 2A individual team title, finishing with 124.5 points. It topped Mount Vernon's 110 and Union's 95. It's the first time in school history that the Green Devils have won back-to-back state championships at the individual tournament, and it is the third in the past five years. In the process, Osage also set a new school record with four individuals winning a state championship in the same tournament. Blake Fox at 138 pounds, Anders Kittleson at 144 pounds, Tucker Stengel, 157 pounds, and Mac Muller at 285 pounds. Muller's title match at heavyweight might have been the only one that was not relatively close. Fox, Kittleson, and Stengel put together gritty performances in their championship matches. The team title was already wrapped up as Fox won the 138-pound match over Mount Vernon's Jace Jaspers with a 3-1 decision. That started the string, as it has all year, for Kittleson and Stengel to win in two of the next three matches and put the exclamation point on a solid week for Osage. It was not just the four champions that, that got the Green Devils over the line. Max Gast finished 6th at 165 pounds after appearing in the semifinals. Darren Adams won a key match, too, while Jasper Sonberg, Darren Adams, and Ledger Nels also qualified for the state tournament. The sophomore Fox kicked off Saturday's celebration with the key win over Jaspers. It's Fox's second state title, and he did it in a new weight class this season after wrestling at 120 pounds. Fox also ties his brother, Nick, who also won two state championships. Stangle capped off his high school career with 88 straight wins. He won the one hundred fifty seven pound title for his second state title and became a four time medalist with a two win over Sergeant Bluff Luton's Bo Cotum. Cotum was the second win of the eighty-eight in a row back in the third place match in twenty twenty two. Kittleson and Muller became first time champions on Saturday, both with decision wins. The second straight team title is also the third in the last five years for Osage after it won in 2020. The Green Devils finished second in 2021 and 2022. In 2022, Osage fell a half point short of the state title. None of the athletes on this year's team were in high school in 2020. With this much success and numerous individual champions over the five-year span, it's a run that will be difficult to match. Fox will be the only returning medalist next year for Osage, which is a change of pace from the previous seasons. There's a few names on the come-up. Sonberg, a freshman this year, will be back. Jennings said there are a couple of other wrestlers on the come-up too. But next season might look a little different from the previous ones. The tradition never dies in Osage, though, and surely the Green Devils will be back. Union's Caleb Olson stopped Garner-Hayfield Ventura's Lucas Crawl just short of becoming the first Cardinal to win a state wrestling title. Olson won the 2A, 150-pound final with a 3-0 decision. All three points came in the third period. Olsen elected to start the period on bottom, but Crawl surrendered the escape point to wrestle neutral. Olsen scored a takedown shortly after and held on from there. And if you're looking ahead for something to do this weekend, running for its second weekend at the Mason City Community Theater, Misery, directed by Amy and David Lee, is a thrilling and deliciously dark experience, one that requires viewing on the edge of your seat. To misery, toasts Anne Wilkes, who clinks her glass with her companion Paul Sheldon as he repeats the line. Annie's toast is to her favorite literary character, but Paul's is a desperately dark acknowledgement of just how bleak his situation looks. David Lee, one of the directors, told the Globe-Gazette ahead of the show, This is a show for adults. There is profanity and gore and even a gunshot, but they're all important parts of the story. Played masterfully by Lacey Schmidt-Monson and Dave Beck, respectively, Annie and Paul's chemistry is the beating heart of the play, which its directors called a dysfunctional love story. The thriller follows Amy, played by a sinister Lacey Schmidt Monson, who is a nurse with a penchant for romance novels. When her favorite author, Sheldon, is thrust into her care, a story and a relationship unfolds that couldn't be found in even the sauciest romance novel. The set, consisting of a bedroom kitchen and exterior door of a Colorado farmhouse, is made a villain by Beck's incredibly sympathetic physicality in portraying the injured Sheldon. Audiences will not help but share the claustrophobia, terror, and hopelessness felt by Beck's character as he moans, groans, curses, and fights his way through his ordeal. The cast of just three is rounded out by Andrew Balduff, who plays Sheriff Buster. Schmidt Monson's portrayal of the at times unhinged but at all times unsettling Annie Wilkes is a gift, while the character's portrayal of, by Kathy Bates in the 1990 Rob Reiner film adaptation of Stephen King's novel is completely singular. Schmidt Monson gives a high caliber performance that ought to be a case study for obsessive psychosis. Misery will run at 7 p.m this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, February 22nd through 24th, and concludes with a 2 p.m. matinee performance on Sunday, February 25th. Tickets are limited, but still available online at mccommunitytheater.com And that does it for the Mason City Globe Gazette for today. Now we'll switch over to the Fort Dodge Messenger. Part of the Kenyon Road Bridge is absent from the landscape. The portion of the bridge that carried the westbound lanes over the Canadian National Railway tracks has been completely dismantled, leaving behind open space with bare ground below. Just a little bit to the west, the part of the westbound bridge that goes over the Des Moines River has been stripped down to its green steel skeleton. Those bridges, which are two of the four spans that make up the Kenyon Road bridge, will be replaced with new ones. The project started in November and is expected to conclude this fall. With the bridge over the railroad tracks gone, crews are now beginning to pour the concrete footings for the piers, the tall vertical supports that will hold the new bridge up. The bridge deck over the river has been removed and crews will soon start cutting the structural steel apart. The components of that bridge have to be carefully lifted out to avoid having anything fall in the Des Moines River. The westbound sides of the Kenyon Road Bridge were steel frame structures very similar to the Interstate 35 West Bridge that collapsed in the Twin Cities of Minnesota in 2007. United Contractors of Johnston has a $15.2 million contract from the state to dismantle and replace the westbound bridges the two spans that make up the eastbound side of the bridge are a different style and will not be replaced. A petition seeks a public vote on franchise fees. A petition intended to force a referendum vote on proposed gas and electric franchise fees in Fort Dodge has been launched by a former city council candidate. Scott Davis, who ran unsuccessfully for the Ward 1 seat in last year's election, wants the public to vote on the fees, which are projected to bring in about $2.4 million annually to pay for hiring eight additional police officers. Revenue from the fees would also be used to lower that part of the city property tax levy that goes toward paying off general obligation bond debt. Additionally, revenue from the fee would help pay for quality of life and infrastructure initiatives. Davis said... I'm all for more police. I want to make it a priority to say that I am not against hiring more police. I'd love to see them do that. I just want it done the right way, by voting on it. The franchise fees would be 5% levies added onto the electric and natural gas bills of mid-American energy customers. If the franchise fees are approved, the 1% local option sales tax levied on gas and electric bills would be eliminated. The result would be a net increase of $3.68 per month on average residential electric bills, according to figures provided by the city. There would also be a net increase of $3.18 per month on average residential gas bills, according to those figures. Davis said gas and electricity are necessities. He added that paying the fees will burden people living on fixed incomes. The City Council has approved the fees on two of the three required readings. The first reading was approved unanimously January 22nd. The second reading was approved February 12th on a 6-0 vote with one council member absent. The council is scheduled to vote on the third and final reading on Monday. Council approval on three votes is the standard procedure for enacting an and ordinance in Fort Dodge. Davis said he thinks he needs about 230 signatures to force a referendum vote on the fees. A former Fort Dodge resident is convicted in Marshalltown on homicide. After almost four hours of deliberation following a week-long trial, a Marshall County jury found a Marion demure Isom guilty of first-degree murder for his role in the 2023 shooting death of Isaiah Forrest. The jury deliberated a few hours on Friday before being excused for the weekend, and another hour after reconvening Monday afternoon. Roughly 25 people sat in the chairs and benches in the fourth-floor courtroom and waited to hear what the jury determined. Isom, twenty one, a former Fort Dodge resident, did not show much emotion as the verdict was read, nor as he was escorted out of the courtroom by Marshall County deputies. One of his supporters told Isom they were going to fight the verdict, as he waved goodbye. District Court Judge Amy Moore asked Marshall County attorney Jordan Gaffney and defense attorney Aaron Sybrecht if they wanted a poll of the jurors. Gaffney said he did not, but Sybrecht asked for the poll. One by one, all of the jurors affirmed they found Isom guilty of first degree murder. Gaffney asked for Isom to be held without bond, which Moore approved. Isama was accused of murdering 27-year-old Isaiah Forrest on March 17, 2023, at a Marshalltown residence. He pleaded not guilty on March 29, 2023, and the trial began February 12, 2024. Assistant Attorney General Monty Platts helped the prosecution during the trial, but was absent on Monday during his closing statements Friday, he told the jury Isom killed Forrest for a perceived lack of respect in addition to a drug debt. The prosecution said Isom took a shotgun to the West Boone Street residence where Forrest was staying, pulled the trigger at close range, and then took steps to cover it up. Prosecutors said Isom tried to get rid of the evidence established an alibi, and told conflicting stories to two separate law enforcement officers. Attorney Ted Fisher gave the closing statements for the defense and asked the jury to find Isom guilty of involuntary manslaughter. According to Iowa Code, involuntary manslaughter occurs when the person unintentionally causes the death of another person by the commission of a public offense other than a forcible felony or escape. He said there were inconsistencies in the testimony of a witness and that the tragedy of Forrest's death was the result of something going wrong. In a press release issued Monday afternoon, Marshalltown Police Chief Mike Tupper indicated that he was happy with the outcome and praised the professionals who played a role in securing a guilty verdict. In today's obituaries, Arnold Kepin died February Friday, February 16th in Rockwell City. No services are being planned. Sarah Wingert, 44 of Fort Dodge passed away February 15th at Iowa Lutheran Hospital in Des Moines following a brief illness. Sarah attended school and grew up in Fort Dodge. She moved away from the area for a while and eventually found her way back home. She was a longtime employee at the Holiday Inn Express in Fort Dodge. In 2012, she met her future husband, Kevin, known as Kong, Wingard. While working in Vincent, Sarah and Kong were united in marriage on August 9, 2014 in Fort Dodge. She had a kind and generous heart. In her short 44 years, Sarah made a huge impact on those around her and she will never be forgotten. A celebration of life will be held at a later date. Memorials may be left to the discretion of the family. Dennis Passel. 72 of Euless, Texas, formerly of Claire, passed away on Friday, February 16th at the Fonda Specialty Care Center following a brief battle with cancer. A Celebration of Life will be held on Wednesday, February 21st from 4 to 7 p.m. at Loffersweiler Funeral Home with a vigil prayer service at 7 p.m. at the funeral home. Burial will be in the springtime at St. James Cemetery of Clayton. Dennis J. Passow was born on February 25, 1951 in Fort Dodge. He attended schools here and graduated from St. Edmund High School in 1969. Following his education, he served in the U.S. Marines for two years and then the U.S. Army for four years, serving during the Vietnam War. After his honorable discharge, he moved to Euless, Texas, where he established his home. Dennis worked at a car dealership for several years. He was an avid NASCAR racing fan. Memorials may be left to the discretion of the family. Marlene King, 89, of Fort Dodge, passed away on Monday, February nineteenth, at Trinity Regional Medical Center. A celebration of life will be held at a later date. Wendy Boyd Strunk died on February 16th. Visitation is on Friday, February 23rd from 6 to 7.30 p.m. at Bowman Funeral Home. And on to the sports news coming out of Des Moines from the wrestling this weekend. The championship match for Fort Dodge Jr. Coy Davidson will be remembered for having one of the most electric final seconds Dodger fans will ever witness on the mat, and Davidson's scramble to become a first time gold medalist now stands as an iconic moment in history. The 138 pound title match was lined up to be one of the more exciting of the night on Saturday inside wells fargo arena and it didn't disappoint standing in davidson's way was a key northwest star carter freeman a university of iowa of northern iowa recruit who was looking to become the state's 34th four-time champ after both wrestlers earned an escape point extra time was needed to decide the crown The rivals got into a flurry of scrambles as time began to run out in overtime. They circled in an upper body tie-up to their feet. Davidson got control and tossed Freeman to the mat. The Dodgers standout then stepped over with Freeman on his back to clinch the state title in a 6-1 victory. Davidson had his hand raised as Fort Dodge's 64th state champion all-time. With the magnitude of the match and what was on the line for Freeman, Davidson was named the IHSSN Tournament MVP for his efforts. It was the third meeting of the season between the top-ranked foes. Davidson edged Freeman 2-1 to in the Council Bluffs Classic Championship. Freeman prevailed 3-2 in the Ed Winger title match it was davidson's second trip to the finals after finishing second as a freshman he was fourth a year ago in his first three seasons as a dodger davidson is one o eight to sixteen and already twenty eighth on fort dodge's all-time win list deshaun rogers made noise and history as a freshman a year ago now he's serving notice to the entire state emerging as arguably the best pound-for-pound wrestler in all of iowa the fort dodge sophomore became the school's 10th multi-time state champion on saturday night inside wells fargo arena as Ross whipped through the Class 3A 215-pound state bracket while barely breaking a sweat. During his first title run as a ninth grader in 2023, Ross was the biggest rookie in state history to win a title, doing so at 195 pounds. The Dodgers went 3-0 on championship night and brought home a third-place trophy in Class 3A. Ross's efforts garnered him IHSSN Class 3A MVP of the tournament. In the championship match, Ross easily handed, handled Southeast Polk Jr. Holden Hansen by fall in a minute and 39 seconds. Ross, who is 47 and old, also a highly touted Division I football recruit with offers from Iowa, Iowa State, Nebraska, Minnesota, Missouri, Purdue, Kansas, and Kansas State already on the table, was the only wrestler in the entire tournament to pin his way to a state crown. He opened with a 30-second fall over Aiden Wyckoff of Carlisle. In the quarterfinals, Ross stuck Cedar Rapids Xavier's Gene Noma in 2 minutes and 58 seconds. Noma was the only opponent opponent to get out of the first period against the FDSH sophomore Sensation. In the semifinals, Ross pinned fourth-seeded Vincenzo Lime of Iowa City Liberty in 1 minute and 32 seconds. Less than 30 minutes earlier, Dreshawn's brother, Damarian, won the 175-pound state championship in 3A. The Ross brothers became the first Dodger siblings to capture state titles since Milan Maycek, 1939, and Paul Maycek, 1938. Ross is now 91-2 in his career. Next season, Ross will look to become only the third Dodger to win more than two titles. Brody, Te- Brody Teske and Drake Alea are the only ones to accomplish that feat to date. And the senior, Ross, has a breakthrough moment in the grand finale for Fort Dodge. DeMarion Ross's win in the state finals here on Saturday night represented much more than a championship. The senior's victory not only checked off a long-standing individual goal, but it also solidified Fort Dodge as the bronze medalist in the Class 3A team race. Ross climbed the ladder from being a state qualifier as a freshman to the top of the mountain as a senior. Ross was 22-17 in his rookie campaign, followed by a 33-9 sophomore season, which saw him take 7th at 138 pounds. In 2023, Ross took a huge step forward and was a state runner-up, showing at 160 with a 43-4 record. Now he is officially a state champion, joining younger brother Sean in the winner's circle for 2024. Ross 42 and 4 beat Carlisle's Asa Hempstead by a 2-1 count in a quiet match on the way to the crown. It was a scoreless first period before Hempstead recorded an escape in the second. Ross earned a takedown with 40 seconds left in the second period for his only points of the match. Hempstead stunned three-time state champ Max Mena of Waterloo East in the semifinals, erasing a 5-0 third-period deficit to eliminate the North Dakota state recruit. The Dodgers were in a tight race with Waukee Northwest and Waverly Shell Rock for third place. The Wolves had two finalists. The Gohawks had two as well. Coupled with Coy Davidson's crown at 138 pounds and DeMarion's win, the Dodgers sealed the bronze trophy to go flank their state duels bronze. All five Ross siblings have now been a part of state championships as Dodgers. Sister Alexis was an IWCOA state queen in 2022. Older brother, Drevon was part of Fort Dodge's 2018 state dual championship squad. Oldest sister, Alisha, on the Dodgers co ed championship cheer team in 2017. The victory moved Ross into eighth place on FDSH's all time win list with a career record of 140. To 34. For a brief moment, it felt just like any of the previous 157 wins for Carson Doolittle in a Webster City singlet. Then the roar from the crowd on Saturday night inside a packed Wells Fargo arena sank in. Doolittle knocked off two-time defending state champion Jace Hedeman of Union-Laporte City for the Class 2A 126-pound title joining his brother head coach, Drake Doolittle, on the short list of champions for the program. Lyndon Fedoxfany added a silver medal as a sophomore to the bronze he won as a freshman at 133 pounds for Webster City, while Landon Griffin was eighth at heavyweight. Doolittle, a third time third place finisher coming into the meet, denied Hedeman the chance at joining an exclusive group in becoming a four time state champion next year with his 3 1 win in overtime. The match between the number one seeded Hedeman and number two Doolittle was as tight as expected. Heideman scored an escape in the second, and held Doolittle down until the final seconds of the third when he got out, as the buzzer sounded. In sudden victory it was Hedeman who shot first, digging in deep for a double leg takedown. Doolittle managed to avoid the move, and scored a takedown for the win with thirty three seconds left. Shortly thereafter, Drake Doolittle, in his first season leading the Lynx as head coach, presented Carson with, with his state medal on the podium. Drake was a four time state place winner who went third, second, fifth, and first in his Webster City career before wrestling at Duke University. Fedoxveni fell to Hedeman's teammate Braden Bonshack, four to two. The Union Laporte City Junior has now won two state titles and three medals overall in 3 years. An early escape by Fedaxmi in the second gave him the lead before Bonchak responded with a takedown. Another takedown in the 3rd made it 4 to 1 before the WCHS sophomore got out and started his rally. Fedaxmi, the brother of two-time Webster State champion Cam Fedaxmi, finishes the thirty the year 36-2 and overall, and is now 76-5 in his career. Bart Chelsevig, Eric Stroner, Jamie Taxted, and Gavin Dinsdale are the other state champions for Webster City, along with the Doolittle Brothers and Cam Phenoxfony. Griffin dropped a 3-2 decision to Trent Kakeris of APGC for 7th at 285 pounds. The senior ended the season 33-10 and 10 with a medal in his inaugural state tournament trip. Senior Carson Bertrand and junior Lake Estland also wrapped up their seasons at state. Bertrand won once on Wednesday before bowing out on the backside Thursday at 190. Estland did the same at 175. Drew Alaya got the ball rolling for the Fort Dodge wrestling team in Saturday medal round by earning a bronze medal at 120 pounds in Class 3A. Alaya, 43-4, finished his career as one of only five Dodgers to secure four state medals of fifth place or better. Alaya was a runner-up in 2022 and 2023, while also taking fifth as a freshman. He reached the semifinals all four years. The future Iowa Hawkeye won two matches on the backside to finish third and started a whirlwind day where Fort Dodge went 5-0, and catching Ankeny Centennial and Waukee Northwest to bring home a team trophy for the first time since 2020. Fort Dodge trailed Centennial and was tied with the Wolves heading into the day but two backside wins and three state champs, the Dodgers ended up third with 119 points. Centennial was fourth, followed by Waverly-Shellrock and Waukee Northwest. Southeast Polk, at 221.5 points, was the team champion going away. Bettendorf was the runner-up. Alaya, at 120 pounds, finishes tied for sixth with Drew Bennett on the school's all-time win list at 153-16. to 16. He is one of just seven Dodgers to eclipse the 150-win plateau. Coy Davidson at 138, Damarian Ross at 175, and Sean Ross at 215 gave Fort Dodge three state champs in a single year for just the fourth time in school history. 2016, 1941, and 1931. After suffering a final loss to eventual state runner-up Jake Knight of Bettendorf, Alea bounced back with a consolation semifinal win and a win in the third-place match. He dispatched Lin Myers, Malik Debo, for by a 7-4 count before the showdown with familiar foe Cody Vandermark of Ackley of Anckney Centennial. It was fourth time this season the two have met. Alea won all four matches, claiming a 5-4 decision in his career final. Alea finished his career 13-5 at state. The Dodgers qualified 11 wrestlers for the state tournament, and seven will return. There was other sports besides the wrestling. In, from Storm Lake, Iowa Central was at the Indoor Regionals. The Iowa Central men's and women's track teams took part in the Region 11 Indoor Championships. The Triton women finished second and the men third as Iowa Western swept the team races. Zion Campbell and Hussein Robbie led the way, as both set new meet and facility records in winning events and qualifying for nationals. Campbell was first in the 60 in 6.60, while Robbie did the same in the mile in 4 minutes 12 seconds and 71. Hundreds. Robbie also qualified in the 1,000. Other national qualifiers include Devon Briggs in the 60 hurdles, Trayvon Prince, 600, Jed Elmbarkey in the 1,000 and the mile, Jaden Boots in the 1,000, Tina Sampson, long jump, and Sarah drew in the weight throw. Cooper Spurgeon won the heptathlon, and Samson claimed first in the pentathlon. Bangamusa Nosi won the 200 with Campbell second. Briggs was runner-up in the 600, as was Prince in the men's portion. Robbie finished second in the 1000 of head uh, ahead of Elmbarki. Seth Cheney, Seth Cheney, grabbed silver in the 3000. Samson was runner-up in the long jump. Abigail Fry claimed second in the pole vault. Canyon Jones won the pole vault, and Dewey was second in the weight throw. The women's 4x800 and distance medley each finished first, as did the men's distance medley. The national meet is March 1st to 2nd in Gainesville, Florida. And that does it for today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and Fort Dodge Messenger for Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. I'm your reader, Grace Barter. Thanks for listening.
1: Economic Geology, this is EarthDate. What exactly is fossil water, and why have we consumed so much of it? No, it's not a new brand of bottled water imported from the days of dinosaurs. Fossil water came from melting ice sheets, ancient lake systems, and a generally wetter climate tens to hundreds of thousands of years ago. It percolated into porous rocks, which were then buried under deep layers of sediment where it was sealed off from the surface, and there it stayed, until farmers discovered it. And in the second half of the 20th century, they started drilling wells into fossil aquifers and pumping like mad, turning sunny, dry places into acres and acres of green farmland. Crop supplies boomed. Food became cheaper and more plentiful, grown in formerly parched places like California and Kansas, and shipped around the world for people like you and me to eat, ingesting fossil water with it. The trouble is, fossil water is a finite resource, and new studies suggest that many fossil aquifers may become depleted this century, so that we won't be able to rely on them any longer. This could mean that the crops that depend on them could become less plentiful and more expensive again. All the while, population will likely increase, the climate will likely warm, our demand for water will continue to climb, which means we'll have to adapt to the lack of fossil water just as we adapted to its discovery this time with more efficient crops and farming methods and more efficient use. For EarthDate, I'm Scott Tinker. EarthDate is produced by the Bureau of Economic Geology at the University of Texas at Austin, with support from Schlumberger, helping oil and gas companies increase production and efficiency while lowering environmental impact. You can hear more EarthDate stories at earthdate.org.